Get Lit. Welcome back to Get Lit, the literary podcast where we talk about famous works of literature and the authors who wrote them. I'm your host, Steph Spars, here with my dear acquaintance, John Stricker. Asked and answered. Just for you. Thank you. I just want people to know where we stand. <laughs> oh, very good. I'm glad I can be your acquaintance, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. It is good to be back this week. You were missed, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, you can't get rid of me that easily. Oh, good. Um, sorry, Katie. We'll handle that next time. <laughs> um, so this week, we um, are obviously back both together. Um, right after the Thanksgiving holiday, so we hope that you all had good ones. Uh, we have something to be grateful for. Obviously, uh, when I was talking with Katie last week, we talked about how fortunate we were to have the audience that we do um, on this podcast. But I was looking at statistics this week, and we hit 3,000 streams, which Whoa. is really exciting. Congratulations. Um, thank you all. Yeah, thank you guys. It's literally because of you um, that this happens the way it does, and we're really, really grateful um, for all of the support that you give, the friends that we've been able to make, the connections that we've had, uh, the travels, the trips that we've gotten to take has been really, really fun and all totally possible with your love and support because we don't have money that supports it either. So We don't need no money. We got our listeners. Um, we have our listeners. So um, thank you for all of that. We know that because we don't have any sponsors, it's literally all word of mouth is how people find out about the podcast. So if this is something you like, feel free to give us a shout out. Um, if it's something you don't like, I'm not really sure why you're still listening. But That's right. Tell your enemies about it. To each their own. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for that support because it literally is because of you that we've been able to do this. So I guess with that being said, we're about to hit the holiday season and have a lot of fun uh, episode surprises, some more radio drama coming up, um, some Charles Dickens Christmas situation going on. Uh, and I think it'll be a really nice holiday season mm. as well. So hopefully this can help um, get you into the spirit of the holidays, as it were. I'm ready. Good. John needs a little spirit in his holidays. I do. We mm-hmm. need a little Christmas. I'm not doing that. You're not? I will not Can do we it. Can please? Nope. Just, just one verse. Nope. nope. All right. Not this minute. Not this hour. <laughs> not this year. <laughs> Um, you might need Christmas, but I need Hanukkah. This is true. And any other holiday you celebrate. So whatever it is that you celebrate, is there a better way to get into the holiday spirit than by listening to information about authors? Yes. No, there's not. No, there's not. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I meant. Right. Anyway, with that being said, um, this week we are going to be covering... Louisa May Alcott, who is the author of Little Women, which is coming to theaters, um, Greta Gerwig's written, directed interpretation of the novel, which I'm so excited about. Um, And as a result, she was also one of the authors that when we were out in Boston, in in Provincetown over the summer, we actually got to visit some sites that were significant to her. So we'll touch on those. Um, But I think without further ado, let's head back east um, to Louisa May Alcott. Louisa May Alcott was born on November 29, 1832, in Germantown, Pennsylvania. That makes her a Sagittarius. And does that fit with her personality? I feel that it does. Um, One of my dear friends is a Sagittarius. Zaya, I don't know if you're listening, but 
Here you go. You've got a fellow Sag and Louisa May Alcott. Hmm. Um, this is fun. So we're going right off the bat. Okay. Super fun. Um, she is the daughter of um, a teacher and transcendentalist, Amos Bronson Alcott. Um, and her mom was actually a social worker, which I thought was pretty progressive and awesome. In 1832. Hello. And like, what a pairing, right? right? A transcendentalist and a social worker? That seems to make sense. Yes. Um, and they have four daughters. Meh, little women, four daughters. Oh. You can see where we're going with this. Um, so Louisa is actually number two. She has an older sister named Anna and then two younger sisters, Elizabeth and Abigail May, who was named after her mother. Um, and the four of them and their two parents move to Boston, which I think is where she's most strongly associated because of her ties to transcendentalism, um, in 1834. So she's only in Pennsylvania for two years um, before they head back to Boston. And while they're in Boston, um, Amos establishes an experimental school of transcendentalist theory um, and joins the Transcendentalist Club with our boys, Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. Nice. Right? I feel like you'd start an experimental school. Um, I might. Yeah. I feel like I just have a lot of philosophies and ideas about how things work. But I also know that I personally don't have the research backup yet mm. to make those things. Like, things that I've just done. Neither did Alcott. And he still went out and did it. I, I don't know. It's a wild adventure, Stephanie. I don't know if that's a poorly butchered reference to something or if you're just encouraging me with strange words. Can't it be both? I don't want it to be either. Okay. <laughs> no, there was that one poet. Is what are you going to do with this one crazy... You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but you're insulting my favorite poet, so I don't really feel like saving you right now. <laughs> Let's get back to her, shall we? Um, listeners, please condemn John for his butchering of Mary Oliver's beautiful poem. That is all. Louisa May Alcott. Um, gets a lot of her early education from all of her father's friends, including Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who was her neighbor, Margaret Fuller, and Julia Ward Howe. Oh, you know, just <laughs> the neighbors. Yes. You know, who did you get educated by? That's right. Not Hawthorne. <laughs> not Definitely Thoreau. Not. <laughs> right? So, um, obviously, she's surrounded by all of these philosophically inclined writers and artists and thinkers, um, which is really quite a remarkable upbringing, I think, an educational opportunity for her. Um, so that's cool. And strong female, like... Uh, yeah, empowering. Yeah, empowering figures. Mm -hmm, including her mother, I think. Right. Um, unfortunately, in 1840, the, the school that her father has established kind of flops completely mm. and um so they move around a little bit to Hosmer Cottage um which is in Concord and so we know this um as you know Concord that sort of area where the transcendentalists are kind of settled um guess what you do when you move to Concord what do you do in 1843 you move with six other families um to create the utopian Fruitlands community of course, when in right? Concord. When in Concord, create your utopia. Um, so this only lasts seven months. <laughs> so clearly uh, the utopia is not that um, utopic. Is that a word? Uh, it is now. Okay. Um, 
So let me tell you a little bit about the the Fruitlands, as they were called. Yes, please. Um, they were all vegetarian, um, actually vegan, really. They ate no animal substances. They only drank water. They bathed in unheated water, which, like, honestly, how much access did they have to heated water? I was going to say, time? didn't anyway, most people yeah. bathe in the heated um, water? With no artificial light to prolong dark hours or cost them the brightness of the morning. So they literally just sort of lived in nature as much as possible, it sounds like. So no candles, even. Correct. Whoa. So, like, it's nighttime. Good night. That's all. That's all for you. Good night, moon. Good night, moon. <laughs> yeah. It started here. Um, <laughs> this is the origins. Get and um, the property was held communally with no animal labor. So the, the people who lived there... Owned, they all owned the land and they all worked on it together. So this experiment, as I mentioned before, only lasts seven months. Uh, and then it flops, so they move off of it and try to start you know, their next adventure. Uh, which is, in 1847, um, Louisa May Alcott's parents actually are part of the Underground Railroad. And they hide slaves who escape on it. Um, they actually held a fugitive slave for a week. And kept him hidden so he wouldn't get caught, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, Abigail, um, Louise's mother, gets an inheritance. And then Emerson actually gives some money. And they are able to purchase uh, their homestead in Concord in 1845. Um, Several years later, they wind up selling that to Nathaniel Hawthorne. And over the course of the next 30 years, the Alcott family will move 22 times. Holy cow. Yeah. Basically to different places around Boston. I don't think it's like they're moving, you know, to like across the country or all of this stuff. Um, But eventually they settle in Concord again in 1857 um, and move into the Orchard House, which is actually where Louisa May Alcott writes Little Women um, in 68. And I think it's kind of cool. This is the house that you can go see today that they've converted into a museum. And we done goofed. Because we did not go see it. We did not. And it was not far. We could have walked. I know, right? Looks like we're going back. I would literally go back, though, any day of the week. How about tomorrow? Just kidding. (laughs) I can't. We have finals. (laughs) Um, So her family's financial situation wasn't great because they're moving around. Their father is just, like, trying to be this transcendentalist, which... You know, shocker, doesn't support the family um, very comfortably. So Louisa works as a domestic servant. Um, She works as a teacher uh, to help support the family for, you know, 10 odd years. During this time, she writes and none of her work has really been published under her name. She uses a pen name, um, Flora Fairfield, which I think is cute. Yes, how floral. Um, (laughs) Haha. Was that supposed to be a joke? No, it just feels like Flora Fairfield. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's it's floral. A, yes, it has a bot- botanical flavor to it. Yes. So she publishes poems, short stories, um, and thrillers, all kinds of things like that. But again, it's under this pen name, so nobody knows it's actually her. Why? Um, Good question. I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. I, I, because like some women used male names as their yes. pen names, but she like... has another name as well, A.M. Oh. Barnard, oh. and that's a little bit more ambiguous, mm-hmm. not directly male, but regardless. Mm. Um, but that's for a different reason, and we'll get to that later. But first, 
the Civil War. Um, oh my. So the Civil War happens. Um, and Louisa goes to Washington, D.C. to work as a nurse. She originally signs up for a three-month stint, but about six weeks in gets really, really sick um, and has to leave. She does obviously recover, um, but she gets, like I think it's like typhoid fever or something and, and has to leave. Um, however, her father was so proud of her that he wrote her a poem called To Louisa May Alcott from her father. And it just describes how proud he is of her working as a nurse and helping the soldiers that she did um, and bringing cheer and love into their homes. Um, and he takes it, the end of the poem, tells Louisa that she's in his heart for being a selfless, faithful daughter. Isn't that just so sweet? That's really sweet. I love that. That's, I feel these are the intimate moments that like <clears throat> I feel like we lose a lot of times in, in the history of, of mm -hmm. quote unquote great people it's like her dad was really proud of her yeah and wrote, and wrote her this poem which oh. is really nice because that's a very public and actually quite common at the time so I don't think it's correct to say oh what an anomaly that he wrote a poem but rather like it was just a really special poem but like writing poetry was a very common way of making your opinions and thoughts known Right. Think about how many poems were written like about Edgar Allan Poe and vice versa. Mm. Just like throwing mud back and forth at each other through verse. So it's just a more uh, public way yes. than it is today of expressing your opinions. Correct. Like a tweet today would be a poem that you'd write. Correct. Okay. In disparaging your enemy. Ah. It's like honestly more savage, but like so tastefully done. <laughs> Right? Now it's just like calling out other people with like, you know, their handles it's and whatnot. It's mudslinging with wit is right. the poetry. We need to get back to that, you yes. guys. Not that I'm endorsing any form of verbal violence toward your foe. However, there's nothing wrong with a little tasteful jab like a sonnet or something. Anywho. <laughs> um, so she leaves, she goes back, right? And um, she's finished working um, as a nurse, and she, in 1865, becomes the editor of a girls' magazine called Mary's Museum. Um, and it's right around this time, actually, that she publishes Flower Fables, which is a collection of fairy tales that she had written for Ralph Waldo Emerson's daughter, Ellen. Oh. So I was like, shut the front door. That is so cool. Um, I would love to read that. Just flower yes. fables? Are you kidding? And she actually uses her name for that one. That was the first one she published, which is really sweet. But I mean, if it's a personal gift, it makes sense as to why that might be her debut. In 1867, um, Louisa May Alcott's father was trying to convince this publisher named Thomas Niles to publish his manuscript about philosophy. He continues to write, still trying this transcendentalist stuff on for size. Um, and Niles is like, Mm, I'll publish it if you can get your daughter to write a novel for girls. Oh. And so her father goes to Louisa and says, hi, there's this deal. I would really like very much to get this philosophy thing published. Could you please, if you wouldn't mind, write a novel for girls? And so in order to make her father happy and help his writing career, Louisa May Alcott pens this, like, whatever story about her adolescence and growing up with her sisters, and it's published in September of 1868 as Little Women. 
Oh my god! Boom! <laughs> Can you believe she she wrote it as a favor to someone? Literally, like I guess I'll just pen this great American novel. If to you help really you. need it, Dad. If you really need it. I'll help <laughs> you out. Um. So there's obviously four sisters just like hers, uh, her actual life, and she bases Joe a lot on herself. Joe is sort of the tomboy character who wants to be a writer. And um, she doesn't really feel connected to a lot of girls' fiction at the time because she considers, Louisa considers herself to be a tomboy. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, In between writing these things and leaving the war, she goes to Europe and um, she meets a young Polish man named Ladisas Wisniewski. Wisniewski. Yep. And he is allegedly the um, model for Lori, the character Lori in Little Women. Um, Hmm. So fortunately, Little Women makes her financially independent, which is very cool, and also creates a public demand for her novels. So um, (laughs) she gets so popular, actually, because of this book that there's um, a story that... uh, over a hundred strangers knocked on the door of Orchard House at her family's home, hoping to see her. Um, and she didn't really like the attention, so she just pretended to be a servant when they'd come to the door. And she'd be like, mm, she's not home, <laughs> even though it was her. That's the best. Isn't that funny? Yes. Because <laughs> no one would know the difference. It. Right, because no one had like pictures of what she looked like that were widely circulated, at least. Right. So they'd just go, and like, if the servant says she's not home, she's, she's not home. She's not home. That's amazing. Um, so over the course of the next several years, she writes Little Men, <laughs> significantly less popular yeah, than never Little heard Women. Of that. Just doesn't have the same ring. No, it doesn't. Little Men. I feel like that just describes sad politicians. It feels diminutive. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So Little Men comes out in 1871, followed by Work in 1873, which is an adult, like a novel geared toward adults. Little Men, along with Little Women, is designed for um, young young adults. Mm. Um, she writes Eight, Co- Eight Cousins in 1875, A Modern Mephistopheles, which again, another adult novel in 1877, and then Joe's Boys in 1886. So she continues to publish to do all of this stuff, which is great. It sounds like she experiments with the characters a little bit, too. I don't know if it's the same Joe as in the... Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Woman. Yeah, I believe it is. I think Joe's boys is and Little Men. I think those are th- the three of those make up like a Little Women trilogy situation. Hmm. Um, I forgot to include this detail and kind of backtrack. Um, in the eighteen, in the early 1860s, when she's publishing under those pseudonyms, she uses A.M. Barnard. The reason why she uses that one is because she publishes a bunch of gothic pulp fiction. Um, a lot of plays. She writes just like since these sensational melodramatic, me- melodramatic novels and plays that just like... The public loves it. It's very easy money for her, but she doesn't publish them under her name because she's like, whatever, I just need the money. (laughs) Really? So, like, she's separating it out based on the quality she thinks of the work that she's putting out or the genre? Um, good question. I'm not sure. Because, like, is it embarrassing to have written a gothic... Mm -hmm. Pulp fiction? Pulp fiction? Okay. 
Um, back now into 1877, um, Alcott continues to write, but she also gets really publicly engaged, and she helps found the Women's Educational Industrial Union in Boston. Um, personally, she devotes her life to all of these different pursuits and never has kids um, or gets married or anything. Um, there's this quote in an interview about her like relationships and whatever that I like obviously have to read because it's just like a wee tinge suspect only because I want it to be. Like if you were to read this quote in context, it makes complete and total sense. But I'm not going to do that because it's 2019. <laughs> so um, her quote about these lack of, I guess, like familial relationships. I'm more than half persuaded that I'm a man's soul put by some freak of nature into a women's body because I've fallen in love with so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with any man. Mm. I mean, come on. I think, though, it's more it's more like... A remark on society, Stephanie. I, know. I just like it. I just like the idea that Louisa May Alcott is like didn't care and like didn't need it. She didn't. Just like beyond it. Yeah, but that's that is what she's saying, straight up. Right. That also, she's that she's a lesbian, probably. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. So, anyhow. <laughs> Um, she does technically like get the opportunity to take on a, a more motherly role because her youngest sister dies in 1879, and so Louisa takes over the care of her niece, um, who's actually named Louisa after her, which I think is so sweet. They called her Lulu. Um, so Louisa takes over and, and helps to raise her for a couple years. Um, in 1879, this is something I didn't know, historically speaking, um, Massachusetts passes a law that allows women to vote in local elections on things involving education and children. Interesting. What is, well, first of all, what? That is so dumb. Why? It's the woman's sphere. I get it, but like, just give them all the rights, please. So. They belong to their husbands. Stop talking. Those are John's beliefs. These are not my beliefs. Okay, then watch what you say, because people don't know who you are. And if you say things like this, they're going to think you actually no, believe I'm that. No, I'm talking about in the time period. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, Alcott obviously registers immediately, and she actually becomes the first woman in Concord to register to vote. So that's neat. Good for her. Um, with 19 other women, she casts ballots in the 1880 town meeting. Uh, which is very cool. They're met with resistance, obviously, because we can't let women vote. Mm -mm. <laughs> They're not to have rights or What's next? opinions. Them wearing pants. Uh, oh, wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then obviously in 1920, the 19th Amendment will be ratified. And um, so 40 years before that, Louisa May Alcott's voting, which is very cool. Nice. Um, she dies at the stroke at age 55 in Boston um, on March 6th. 1888, two days after her father's death, actually. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wow. Um, that's but, young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She had all those health issues because of her... The typhoid. Typhoid. Um, she also got mercury poisoning, which caused her to hallucinate. Oh. That was a treatment with something with mercury in it. Oh, um, my. So that's kind of a bummer, but it like as a result of this treatment for this fever, she also then got mercury poisoning and then suffered a lot for the rest of her life. 
I'm telling you, we are so lucky mm-hmm. to live when we're living, as far as medicine yes. goes. Would you like this mercury tablet? Why, yes, please. <laughs> huh, why is my lips glowing? I don't know. Wait, my hair radio. is falling out and I'm seeing things. <laughs> this is strange. Um, so Lulu is only eight when Louisa dies, um, but she goes to live with her father in Switzerland. Um, so that's fine. Uh, but then Louisa May Alcott is buried, and we got to go see her grave in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord. And she's buried on Author's Ridge, which we went and, and looked for and found, which was very cool, um, and rests there to this day. People continue to find inspiration not only from her work, but also her life. Um, in itself, uh, speaking of like influenced by her work, Little Women Alone has um, film versions uh, released, of, you know, f- throughout history, um, including a silent one in 1933, then another one in 1949, 1994, 2018, and a new one, actually, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, coming out this December. Um, it also inspires television series in 1958, 1970, 1978, 2017, and anime versions in 1981 and 1987. There's a musical based on it? There's a and so I just, I was so inspired and so excited. I'm really looking forward to this film adaptation. Um, it stars all kinds of people that I like. Saoirse Ronan is in it. Um, Meryl Streep is in it. Laura Dern is in it. Emma Watson is in it. Timothy Chalamet is in it. So like, go see it. Oh, um, I think Tracy Letts is in it. Yeah. Anywho, um, we're definitely going to go see it. So if anybody in the Chicagoland area would like to join us, maybe we can do like a little get lit dinner and go see um, Little Women as a group. Dinner and movie. Discussion afterwards. So with that being said, let us know if you would like to join us. Um, We would love to go see a movie. So again, anyone in the Chicagoland area or interest in being in the Chicagoland area um, around Christmas time, let us know. We hope that you have a wonderful December, final month of 2019. The decade. The decade. Wow, that's right. Wow. Let's not think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Think about the things that were different 10 years ago. The world was a different place. It was. We would not be doing this podcast right now. That's correct. So we look forward to um, some more episodes and getting into the the holiday spirit. Um, And then whatever 2020 brings, who's to say? You're here. So thank you so much for listening, for tuning in, for your love, support, and attention, and being incredible, as we know you are, and for always keeping it lit. There's one.